reach the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy patron bonus episode. Hello and welcome to an exciting 300th episode celebration I'm of the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. This is our patron bonus episode that goes along with our Rapture-based episode, We Get Left Behind. And Josh and I have decided to finally, after all these years, do what every low-budget sitcom does eventually, which is a goddamn clip show. Hooray! And so... We've got a lot of clips, because Joshua, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of history to this podcast, there's a lot of things there to is. think about, a lot of things to say, and a lot of things to reminisce about. Mm. Yes, and with such a lot of things, maybe we should stop beating about the bush and dive straight into it, starting, of course, back in the misty past of 2014. Oh, Does it ever sink into you sometimes? When we talk about, gosh, how long ago it was, 2014. Like, the, 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 the extent to which we're living in the future these days is just a little bit frightening, I find. It's a point where I even went by a different name back then. I mean, mm. it's just weird. So let's yeah. start off with the seminal, the start, the beginning of the podcast. Let's talk about MH370. The final recorded words by anyone on board Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 were simply Good night, Malaysian 370. Moments later, the flight turned off its scheduled route and veered 15 degrees to the right, never to be seen or heard from again. It's now been three months since the flight disappeared, and despite a flurry of activity off the coast of Australia, when it was thought the black box recorder had been located, at the bottom of the Indian Ocean, we seem no closer now than we were then to knowing what happened to the passengers and crew of Flight MH370. So, mm. MH370, the, the first and all. possibly last conspiracy theory of this podcast, because I believe we have promised on numerous occasions, if MH370 is solved, that's the podcast over and done with. Yeah, yeah, no, we have. It was, was that episode Three or four? Episode four. Episode, Episode four, yeah, four. Right. The first three were a bit of a bit of the conspiracy conditions. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, and it and it just kept going. It kept going and going. So, you know, that, that was that was basically live. That was current news when we first started talking about it. And then over the years it's just refused to go away to the point that I don't doubt there'll be more. It hasn't hasn't really entered the halls of, of proper conspiracy theory. Yet, that I being guess. said, so there's been a lot of books. It. I mean, we reviewed a book on MH370 last year. Yep, no, that's true, that's true. Um, yeah, so I, I, I eagerly await whatever, um, whatever, whatever revelations may come out about MH370 in the future. Now, MH370 kind of is an ongoing concern. One thing we have talked about a lot over the course of the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy are celebrity death conspiracy mm. theories. And here's a clip. Did Vicious kill Nancy Spudgeon? Was he killed by his mother? The mysterious death of Bruce Lee? Was he poisoned? Was his son killed because he knew the identity of his father's killers? Who killed Tupac Shakur? What happened to the notorious B.I.G.? Did Paul McCartney die in the 1960s? Does this explain the frog chorus? All this and more on Unsolved Mysteries of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Now, all I've got to say about that is we used to be a lot more inventive when it came to the intro to this podcast. Mm. More energy, I think. And, and everything was bright and new. That was the start of episode 14, where we talked about a bunch of celebrity deaths. And it preceded by nine episodes, episode five, which was just all about the death of Kurt Cobain. Oh, and we've, put, we've, put, we've, we've, we've got a clip for that. You're yes. relatively ambivalent towards the, the musical 
merits of Kurt Cobain and Nirvana? I am actually quite ambivalent towards grunge as a genre, truth be told. Yeah. I kind of avoided the that part of the 90s. Too much flannel, I felt. Far too much flannel. Now, the death of Kurt Cobain is a kind of an interesting conspiracy theory, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's interesting and in, in kind of what it says about the people who put it forwards, I guess. It, it mostly just seemed to come out of the fact, or well, there seemed to be two sides, but one of the fact was people liked Kurt Cobain and didn't like Courtney Love. And, and, Which is ridiculous, way. because Courtney Love was the much better recording artist. Well, yes, no, I, I, I'm sympathetic to arguments of, of um, Hole being superior to Nirvana, but at any rate, people, people didn't like her in the same way that when John Lennon was killed, yet Yoko Ono lives, people tried to justify I'm sorry, Josh, you're not one of, of these people who believes that John Lennon is dead by any chance, are you? Mm. Yes. Oh, okay. Mm. That's interesting. Um, and the other side of it was just seemed to be a bit of sort of the amateur reporting. We see people who had... Um, access to the crime scene or access to information about the crime scene who didn't think it looked enough like a shotgun suicide for their liking. Um, yeah, and that kind of gets into an interesting thing we've seen with a lot of conspiracy theories we've looked at over the course of our tenure at the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, which is the idea that people have an idea of what a crime scene should look like. So when it doesn't look like, like that, they end up going oh, there's something suspicious about this. Mm, especially when their idea of what a crime scene should look like is informed entirely by shows like CSI and, and murder mystery movies. Or um, comics making jokes about the death of Kurt Cobain. Mm. Now, I should say, for each year, Em and I have both picked an episode or two... Um, Wait, the, you know, the, the, all right, so let me put this out. For each year, I've chosen an episode. You've chosen an episode or two. Well, yes, I've chosen an episode. Yeah, the, these ones, basically, because they were both celebrity death ones, I figured they were worth mentioning in the same breath. Um, I, I will be honest, I don't know about you, but when I've looked for each year at the most memorable ones, they tend to be memorable to me for fairly egocentric reasons. So in this case, the death of Kurt Cobain was the first one that I kind of took point on. I did the research and presented it to you. Um, so I, Because I, I kind of, of my notorious hatred of grunge. Mm. Uh, and I think kind of the same with the celebrity death ones as well. I don't think that was the last time we talked about dead celebrities. But um, Well, no, I mean, there's again. an entire thing about Tupac Shakur, which comes up mm. several years later. Mm. So shall we move along to 2015 then? Yes, let's start with what I like to think of as our first concept episode, 40 Minutes of the Classics. So, how's America? Big. Big and brassy. Filled with people. American people. Highlights of the trip so far? Travel pillows. Really good for the neck. Love them. What about New York? You've seen the attractions, Coney Island, Empire State, Statue of Liberty? Must have been to Ground Zero, surely. Mm, yeah, yeah, they were nice. Big and brassy, filled with people. American people? Yeah, for the most part. You're not exactly selling me on the place. I mean, it's as if you're not there. Or are you? Well, obviously I'm not. I mean, we're pre-recording this a few days before I leave. At the moment, we're both sitting in my bedroom pretending this is next week's Darn podcast. The magic of internet radio. It sure is magical. Now, if you don't mind, it's actually early morning here and I want to go watch the sunrise from the top of the Empire State Building. Got to get in early and beat the crowd. There's off to find decent coffee. God, but American coffee tastes like mud. So, that's a terribly cliched ending. Very predictable. Pretty terrible, really. Yeah, not my best work. What are you going to do to appease our loyal listeners? I'm thinking 41 minutes and 25 seconds of a Royka Trio's rendition of Trio in B-flat minor, maybe, just maybe, with a few bits of random garbage by ourselves thrown in to keep people listening. Clever. Or very, very stupid. Now, of course, our listeners who listening back in 2015, may well have thoughts of that. But to my mind, what's interesting about that episode is, of course, that episode coincides with my trip to America to attend that big conspiracy theory conference in Miami. Mm. Which, which we, well, you crowdfunded, as I recall. That was, that, that was the Miami one, wasn't it? 
It was. And then I Ooh. capitalized upon that by interviewing almost every single person I met, giving us several months worth mm. of content for the podcast. Yes. yes, we dined out on your interviews for quite some time. Um but 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 in lieu of an actual episode that week, of course, we did there was forty you said forty minutes of the classics, and that's what yep. you delivered. I wonder and if anyone listened to We had recorded a few lot. bits and pieces so that people who actually sat through all of it would actually get a few minutes of comic interludes from time to time. I am quite curious to know whether anyone actually sat through it, but you know, it mm. was content and we provided it. And at that point in time, we did not have a Patreon in any way, shape, or form. So basically, no. people listening to it and not giving us money, they were just fans. Mm. Um, so 2015, 25, episode 38 occurring in episode 15 was when we first took a proper look at false flag conspiracy theories, which of course have dogged us and the conspiracy theory world in general um, ever since. Um, I picked this one. Shall we, shall we play the clip first? We shall indeed. Right. Before we get started, I think we need to set some ground rules given the subject of this week's episode. Cars. No, no, Germans. First of all, I, I think we can agree that World War II jokes are out. Agreed. Don't mention the war. Watch it. Secondly, no cracks about German being an angry-sounding language, which you then prove by shouting words in German at the top of your lungs. No, no, that's lazy comedy. Now, what about references to the famous Teutonic efficiency and work ethic? Uh, positive stereotype is still a stereotype. Uh, that's out too. Fair enough. So, uh, what does that actually leave us? Uh, let's see. Uh, the song 99 Red Balloons, former German Chancellor Helmut Kohl, whose last name is the German word for cabbage, uh, and references to the movie Mall Rats about the backseat of a Volkswagen being a euphemism for anal sex. You know, that's not a lot to work with. Still, I suppose after the puerile depths we plumbed last week, it'll be nice to talk about something more staid and respectable. Like Volkswagen cars and their emissions. They're dirty. Dirty emissions. Filthy. Gaseous emissions. Precisely. Let's put on the dignified front I know we're capable of and begin. Now that's not the right clip because it's actually not the right clip. I've uh, I've put false flags into a different because we talk about false flags in two sections here. Uh, it's actually the VW emissions scandal, which was another thing we covered back that year. Mm, another one of the ones that was episode seventy. Another one of the ones that kept going for a good wee while. Would it be safe to say that one's over? Yeah, I was. So it's one of those things where. Because it was a warranted conspiracy theory, and it was shown to be a warranted conspiracy theory, kind of immediately when Volkswagen mm. went, oh, by the way, actually, we did conspire, it kind of did end as a conspiracy theory in the pejorative then. Although I believe we did actually talk about the fact that there are still financial repercussions to the emissions scandal up to this day. We talked about update last year where VW is still paying out money for the things they did back in 2015. Mm. Um, yes, that was episode 70. D do you have the episode 38 clip there? or shall we I believe to... it's actually this clip right here. So as a, as a more general uh, uh, summation and sort of to set the no, theme for this, this oh. little series that we'll be going... Nope, that is a completely... No. I've I've completely lost the file there. Hold on, whilst I, I I check what's going on there. I do seem to because I do remember making the clip, and now I have no idea where it's disappeared to. We'll just have to assume that it's gone. It's been mm. lost to the history. It was a lovely thing about false flags, about false flags, false flags, false flags, mm. false flags. And that that's the episode where I first decided that false flags were the lupus of conspiracy theories, a reference to the TV show House, which I don't know if it was even still on the air in 2015. So it's thoroughly dated now, but frankly... Does anyone talk about House anymore? Hmm? Does anyone talk about House anymore? Not really, I don't think so. No, I so, think it's kind of gone. Yeah. 
So I, I, I always wanted that to be a catchphrase. I'd really hoped that one would catch on, but if it hasn't now, nobody remembers House anymore. So I don't think it's going to. I think I'm just gonna just gonna have to give that one up. Indeed. But you know what? We're not going to give up. Uh, you, nor are we going to let you down or run around and desert you. No, we're never going to give up, David Ike. Uh, and talking about David Icke, let's move forward to 2016 mm. and hear from the man himself. One of the one of the people that um, an insider who told me about the reptilian connection to the royal family also told me in 1998 that Jimmy Savile, the BBC uh, entertainer, uh, was very very close and an inner circle bosom buddy of the royal family and was a paedophile, a necrophiliac, and a procurer of children for the rich and famous. Now, um, all these years later, she has been proved absolutely right by a mass exposure of a record-breaking paedophile and necrophiliac. This is why he volunteered to be a porter in hospitals. Um, and... Uh, a close associate not only of the royal family but of Margaret Thatcher, whose government in the 1980s has been the focus of a another scandal involving political paedophilia. So this person who was extraordinary, spot on, 100% accurate about Jimmy Savile in 1998, 97, 98, was one of the sources, one of the sources, about the reptilian connection to the royal family. Um, and, and, you know, this is what you do. You, you, you put the information on to, uh, one after the other. So there was actually a case of us literally talking with David Icke. That's not we a snippet of an interview we took and played on the podcast. We were actually talking with David Icke. Mm, so when it comes to memorable episodes, I think that's probably, for me, possibly the most memorable episode ever. We, we now, actually talked to David Icke. What's interesting about this episode, so David Icke's people contacted me to see whether I wanted to talk with David before he came out to give a talk in Auckland. And I kind of got the feeling that they'd done very cursory research, because if they'd actually researched me, they'd realise that I'm not really sympathetic to David Icke, but at the same time they're saying, do you want an interview? So I said, sure, I'll do the interview with David Icke. That seems like a good idea. It's good for the podcast. Interesting to talk with him. We put the podcast out. We did not put the opening sketch onto the initial version of the podcast in part because the initial opening sketch of the podcast is making fun of the idea that David Icke believes in alien shape-shifting reptiles with a running joke about Josh wearing a human suit over a lizard suit over his actual body. So there was levels of subterfuge going on when it came to that episode. Mm. I, 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 I remember recording it. I remember sitting there the two of us sitting there afterwards going well that that happened well i mean i think we only spoke for about five minutes and then he spent the next 45 mm. minutes just prevaricating without any need for input i mean actually that was no. one of the criticisms that people had about our episode we kind of let him talk but i thought that was kind of the point of what we were doing we yeah. knew what our audience would be they wanted to hear David Icke say David Icke things. They didn't really want to hear us talk about David Icke. They wanted to hear us present David Icke in his full David Ikean glory. Well, I think, yeah, I think some of them wanted us to sort of challenge David Icke in the possibly naive assumption that we two amateurs would be able to somehow stump or confound him and and get him to show that his views are all a load of nonsense. But I think it was it was quite apparent that he's heard every objection there is and is pretty much un unstumpable. So yes, I think just winding him up and letting him go was the most entertainment we were going to get. Now you chose David Icke for 2016. I actually chose Ace of Base for 2016 mm. for the sheer fact that A, I still can't quite get over the fact that 
when you actually start exploring Ace of Base the band, it becomes quite clear very early on that at least the, the mastermind behind the band was not a very good human being. But the mm. other thing which is interesting about 2016 is that we start talking about a certain Donald Trump. Breaking, breaking conspiracy theories in the news. Oh no, sorry, my mistake, my mistake. There's, there's absolutely nothing interesting happening in the world, though, except for that election in America, I suppose. Yeah, but well, then who, who's interesting in there? Why, why should we even bother? Yeah, so this is... Donald Trump character? Donald Trump? 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 Something Trump? like that. The name, name Trumpo, does sound familiar. Trumpo? Donald Trumpo. Mm. Uh, famous screenwriter. I believe he's running for president. Oh, never heard of the man. What? Has he, has he done something odd and controversial? You know, you asked me that question, and I just don't know how to answer that, whether facetiously or seriously, because, frankly, the answer is both. Mm. Yeah. He, well, he got into a fight with a baby today. He did? Well, when he, he yes. Didn't actually get into a fight with a baby but certainly ordered one. Had a war of words with a baby. Donald Trump had a war of words with a baby. Which was, which he was doing so well. He was, he was, he was like, oh, that's, you know, bless the baby. I love babies. Don't worry about the baby. And then a minute later, couldn't handle it any longer. And was like, you know, I was just kidding. Get out. I have to say, Last you're doing. You're saying he's doing so well. You're saying for five seconds, for five seconds, he Donald sounded Trump like a human, to be being. a human being. Yeah, that's Donald Trump doing so well in an election campaign. It kind of is. So yeah, 2016, Donald Trump mm. seems ever so slightly low key, as opposed to inciting insurrection. Mm. 2021, Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, now I you mentioned Ace of Base actually, um, and I have to say that we had a news article on on Ace of Base, which is one of my favourite bits of writing that I did for a news section, um, which the punchline of which was the Venga bus may be coming, but where is it taking us to, Auschwitz? which was then followed. And frankly, I have never felt more more in sync with you than when I wrote for you the dialogue, dude, full stop, dude, exclamation mark, dude, full stop, dude, full stop. And you delivered it perfectly with no prompting or directorial input for me, um, exactly the way I was intended it. I was, I was ever so proud. I have to say, I think one of the great things about our working relationship here is we do know how to write for each other's voice. Mm, mm, yes, definitely. Um, I also, I briefly mentioned, um, obviously, I mean, David Icke outshines everything. My only other really memorable one was the one we did about David Grimes, which was that paper that people talk about every now and then where he so, supposedly looked at the statistical likelihood of a conspiracy being able to, or how long, oh, how long me, this paper is a bugbear to me in my own writing. Mm. And, sort of the, the, and sort of gave a mathematical values for exactly how long we could have expected, you know, if, if, things like the moon landing conspiracy theories were real, how long we could expect it to go before someone um, blew the whistle on it or what have you. And yes, so we sort of pulled that one apart. But um, that was my other, one of my other favourite bits of writing where I wrote a, um, a, a, an imagined titanic battle between you and Grimes that involved sort of earth-shaking war cries and giant ebon blades and what have you. It was, I, I, was, I was frankly having too much fun to be stopped. 2016 was a good year. Mm, mm. It was kind of uh, before the Trump presidency when things felt like they might be okay. Mm. But that was not to last. Uh, time, time marched on as it inevitably does, and we ended up in 2017. Um, and now here's where our false flags come in. This was your idea, I'm pretty sure, wasn't it, to do a whole it series was, of yes. false flags? Yeah. And, in part and so because I'd actually been taken to task by Curtis Hagen, friend of the show and also friend of mine within the conspiracy theory theorist community, who had actually sent me an email going, really would be quite nice because I know that you're sympathetic towards conspiracy theories to actually mention some conspiracy theories which are warranted because otherwise the show does kind of come across 
as making fun of conspiracy theories all the time. And I think we both recognise when that email came through that mm. actually, yeah, it would be a good idea to spend some time talking about conspiracy theories which turn out to be actual conspiracies. Mm. Yep, so we went through all the big ones. We had the the the, the Gleivitz incident and we had... Um, I don't actually have the list in front of me now and I can't be bothered looking it up. But we went through a bunch of known, documented, the Levon affair, a few others, um, instances of things that were honest to goodness, proper false flag events that were true and real and happened. Yeah, did this um, uh, play that clip? So as a, as a more general uh, uh, summation and sort of to set the theme for this this little series that we'll be going over for the next, I don't know, some episodes... Uh, this isn't about to be the podcaster's guide to false flag conspiracy theories exclusively, but um, it'll be a theme for just a little that while now. That would be a bit of a mouthful. It really would. <sighs> Must not say just like your mum. Yes, but, but, but you know, as an overall project, as you say, we can, we can look at this after the fact and, and see, obviously, you know, knowing now what we do, we can say that these things are clearly false flags. But I guess... Is the project here to say how we evaluate claims that claims in the here and now that something is a false flag? Is that what we're wanting to to sort of work towards? It is part of the story because, of course, one of the issues in events in wartime is that much of the information that we need to be able to evaluate these events really only comes out well after the fact. I mean, especially when you have a very closed isolationist nation like Russia, it's very hard to get information about what happened during those conflicts until years and sometimes decades after the event. But of course, at the time, People were suspicious. The Dewey Commission was suspicious about the Moscow show trials. People in Finland, of course, were very suspicious about the act of aggression they had supposedly performed with regard to Russia. But proving those things in the moment turns out to be rather difficult. And it's very easy to dismiss these claims as being mere conspiracy theories because state actors, like the Soviet government, deny them. And of course, they have the kind of official authority where you'd go, well, you know, Stalin, he's a good chap. Stalin wouldn't lie to us about this. So it must be the Finnish who are being deceitful at this particular moment in time. Mm. Uh, Which was a good setup for all the ones that we did end up going through. Um, and it was nice to see uh, just just a, a few weeks ago now when we did the um, the, the the daring to care about nine eleven false flag conspiracy theories, um, all of these things uh, kind of popping up as things that um, people who want to say that everything's a a, a, a false flag sort of appeal to, and um, it is nice to know what they're talking about, I guess. I mean, I suppose one thing which both came out when we were talking about false flags back in 2017, and also when we looked at Amy Baker Benjamin's Dare to Care paper, we probably should do a proper look at the Reichstag fire at some point. Yeah, yeah, that one is, it, it, it remains contentious to this day, I think. Yeah, I believe most modern historians don't think the Nazis set the fire, but they did make use of the fire to blame the convenient suspects, the communists. So it would be good to actually look at the state of the literature back before World War II, and also now, and mm. see why the narrative might have changed, and what that means about the way that we evaluate new evidence. Mm. Now that Which was, actually makes that... me do think we should also do the donation of Constantine at some point. Mm. Now I'll put it on the list. We'll I'm, to I it. am literally about to do it if I can actually find out where we've actually put the list in our... Oh, there we go. There's a list of there possible is. episodes. Now, whilst I'm updating that, why don't we take a listen to our next foray into the world of celebrity conspiracy theorists. <laughs> 
Tonight, how does it feel to be so rich you can basically invent your own reality? Here's a famous actor who's a fan of loose change. There's a growing number of stars who think the world is flat. And what about the actress and playmate who popularised anti-vaxxer conspiracies all over the world? Does their spectacular wealth and influence give them access to information the rest of us don't have? Or maybe they're just so famous that no one will tell them when they're talking bollocks. Take a look into the glamorous world of champagne chemtrails and reptilian dreams as we... Mm, sorry, sorry. Look, I appreciate the effort you've put into this. Your Robin Leach impression was possibly Australian? But Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous went off the air in 1995. Some of our listeners, I'm assuming, weren't even born then. Well, what's a more modern reference for celebrity lifestyles then? Is Crib still going? Let me check. Yes, it sort of started up again recently, but it's been off and on for ages, and it's almost 20 years old as well. Well, maybe. maybe. And before you ask, the Good Charlotte song, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, is also 15 years old. You know I love a musical parody, but out of date is still out of date. Well, what are the kids into these days? I think we've firmly established that neither of us really know what the kids are doing these days. They'll be Snapchatting their Instagrams and live blogging YouTube fidget spinners. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Okay. Guess there's no getting around it. We are out of touch. As out of touch as a celebrity conspiracy theorist. And he saves it with a segue. Hats off to you, sir. Hats off indeed. Now, I have to say, I'm pretty astounded by the fact that even when you stop doing your Robin Leach impression in that clip, you still sound like you're doing your Robin Leach impression afterwards. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it just it just, rub, just rubs off. I don't know. It, it sticks sticks in the brain. Lifestyles of the rich. See, I can't even do it now. No, I used to I, do I, it back I, in the day. I don't know that I could actually have said to have, have been able to do it either, but um, I think I'll leave the accents to you. I oh, yes, like... I mean, my my French accent is amazing. Mm. And your Churchill is the toast of Croydon. Probably. Meanwhile, my tricky dicky impression is taken to be one of the best, where one of the best is very contextualised. Mm, mm. Um. I, I had another minor pick for 2017, which is when we talked about speculative conspiracy theories. Oh, and we've got a clip for that too. The birtherism that just keeps on going, even though even though there is no longer a need to delegitimize Obama's presidency. Well, except, the, except there might be a, a further need to delegitimize Obama's presidency. So, in so for example, in the Mandela Effect universe. Donald Trump is about to enter office with the lowest approval rating of a president-elect in American history. So he's already deeply unpopular with the American people. And thus there's going to be a certain amount, I suspect, in the first few months of Trump's reign, as people realize that he won't be draining the swamp, but actually building a bigger swamp, where people look back upon Obama and go, Oh, if only he could have run for a third term. And so there's going to be a need to continue to delegitimize Obama for at least the first term of a potential Trump presidency. So that people go, oh, but, you know, but he wasn't a real president, though, was he? I mean, he was probably a secret Muslim and also not born in Hawaii. So, I mean, really, we can't idolize a fraud. So my suspicion is the Bertha stuff will continue to go on whilst... Trump is president in the Mandela effect universe because they kind of need to continue to set up Obama as the enemy in the same way that Bill Clinton continued to be delegitimized during the Bush years. Mm. Which was my bit of speculation, which, how do you think that panned out? Well, I don't know. People don't seem to give a shit about Obama anymore. Well, I mean, I guess they do, but it, it, he, he certainly seemed to take a back seat to the likes of the Clintons and the Bill Gateses. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing I wasn't expecting, because you're quite right. 
Trump really did continue to litigate against the person who lost the 2016 presidential election, Hillary Clinton. And whilst there was kind of talk about the Obama presidency doing the kind of surveillance on the Trump campaign and maybe running a deep state in the background, Trump very much talked about Clinton, Clinton, Clinton. Mm. Um, and that the, the, the speculation stuff, the reason I put that one in, and I see I've labeled it episode 123, I think that's where we felt started to fall foul of um, episode misnumbering, because now that I'm actually looking at the notes for it, we had it down as episode 122, so I don't quite know what's going on there. But anyway, if it's the one I'm thinking of, and it's quite possible it wasn't, because it is like a long time ago, four years ago, um, it was because this was the, it was at a time when you were in Romania, I guess, 2017. Yep. Yeah. And so occasionally some of our sometimes we could get together and record an episode, and then sometimes the time zones wouldn't work out, and we'd sort of record half an episode each, or what one of us would record a bunch of stuff, and then the other would just record their commentary to it, and then you'd take the lot and Frankenstein them together into a whole episode. And there was one episode where I just happened to say is there is there a sort of conspiracy theory that's not saying here's a thing here's a conspiracy that happened but a sort of speculative one where people have theories that here's something people would do if they could get away with it or sort of it's conspiracy theories in a future tense rather than a past tense and you said actually that's an interesting point and we talked about it in a later episode and basically it was like hey i made an interesting point and that's that's entirely my motivation in talking about it now yeah, and actually, when I think about those initial episodes we made when I first went to Romania, of course, that's kind of fascinating, because initially, we actually thought that when I left for Romania, that was the end of the podcast. Mm. We even recorded a final episode, and then a kind of postscript episode, the exit interview with you. And then we thought, well, you know... I'll do a few bits and pieces recorded from Romania. You can do a bit of commentary on top of that. And then we continued doing that. And then I discovered that actually doing the kind of Frankenstein's monster thing of trying to make the bits work didn't really work out. And I went, we could just do it over Skype. And then we did. Mm. And over the years, Skype got worse and worse. Um... But then you were back in the country, and then now we have Zoom, which seems to actually have decent quality most of the time. Most um, of the time. Most of the time. Internet connection permitting. Um, and you'll soon be winging your way off to China, and it'll be back to being Zoom full-time. It will be, but we'll have better cameras. Mm, yes. Yes, possibly we should say, right, this is a Zoom episode we're doing right now. Um, because it's a patron bonus episode, we don't normally record video for those anyway. And as it so happens, we're in different cities at the moment anyway. So it all, Yes, it all because I and have, also, I've come down to surprise one of the patrons of our podcast. Mm, and it works out even better because for some strange reason, the lights in my house have stopped working we blew a fuse in the kitchen and now even though the light fuses are properly reset the lights in the house are all out except for in the kitchen and i have genuinely no idea what the hell's going on but um that means i'm currently lit only by the light from my monitor screens which gives a slightly spooky effect but probably not what you'd want for a video episode well you know you could always plug in that ring light into a well, USB I port. I could. I don't know if it would be enough by itself. But anyway, um, so that was 2017. 2018. Okay, now here's another big one. Episode 170 of episode 2000, uh, of year 2018, um, was the first time we devoted a proper episode to looking at QAnon. I don't think we even really called it, like we were still referring to it as the oncoming storm. We were, in fact. We here's a clip. And we're back, back to talk about the storm, not, I should point out, the storm that, that lashed Auckland a couple of days ago and knocked over lots of trees and cut a whole lot of power, um, but but the storm with capital letters. What, the what did the, what was the big coming storm. What was the, the one in England was the beast, wasn't it? 
but that was an actual storm, not a, not a beast at all. Yes, and actually this is where metaphors get very confusing because yeah, the really beast does. was an actual storm. The oncoming storm we're talking about is a metaphorical storm and not mm. a literal storm unless Donald Trump was talking about a literal storm, at which point he has predictive weather powers that have hitherto been unseen in American presidents. Although I'm sure someone's going like to write in and say, turns out that actually Gerald Ford was actually very good at predicting storms, as was Abraham mm. Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. So yes, we were talking about QAnon, but it hadn't actually taken on that formal name. It still had a variety of different names, mm. depending on what people were focusing on. Yeah, and I remember in the early days, they, they hadn't really latched on to the, the, the paedophilia, child kidnapping, blood drinking, adrenochrome harvesting side of things. It was really just... Donald Trump's going to drain the swamp. He's going to arrest Hillary Clinton and John Podesta and George Soros and all the people whose politics you disagree with and put them in front of secret military tribunals. And it was sort of as, as it gathered steam and started to suck in all the other um, existing conspiracy theories, those bits got bolted onto it. But at that stage, it was, it was kind of a different beast from what it's turned into today. Yeah, I... I don't think we could have predicted in 2018 what QAnon was going to be in 2021. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I still... It's, it's got into the popular consciousness, certainly. Um, I never... I, I still, to this day, am not, not sure how much of it is um, a small number of particularly loud voices or a large groundswell. I mean, we, we, your interviews with Joe Osinski, he seemed to think it's not, you know, not that big of a thing. It's just got people's attention. Um, and maybe it doesn't need to be that big of a thing if it's still inspiring. So, I mean, we talk, we've talked about how a lot of the QAnon, especially the, especially the baby-eating side of things, has its precursors in the satanic panic of the 1980s, which, of course, goes all the way back to the, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Um, and before, I'm sure. And certainly, yeah. you know, people went to jail in the satanic panic. So even if even if only a few people believed that, it's had real world consequences. So maybe if QAnon doesn't have that large a volume of supporters, it can still do damage as, say, inspiring uh, people to invade the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, this is the point I've made several times talking with journalists. I believe Joe and the polling, which indicates that actually QAnon is not a particularly big section of the American conspiracy theorist community. It's probably less than 2 or 3%. The problem is the people who subscribe to the QAnon hypothesis are very strong in their belief in the QAnon hypothesis. So there aren't many of them but they're very interested in doing something about their beliefs. Mm. And I think in that, in that extent, it's probably similar to um, the various terrorist organisations, your, even your, your, your white nationalist terrorists and your Islamist terrorists, that they, they're small, they're not representative of their wider community perhaps, but they're committed enough to actually do some damage. Precisely. Mm. Now you had another clip for 2018 that was that was memorable for you for a, a, a closer personal connection, perhaps. Yes, and we'll let the clip stand for itself. Mm. So I'm going to start today's story with a little bit of an anecdote, which is going to sound like it's a setup for a joke, because literally about a week and a bit ago, I was having lunch with a Russian and a Ukrainian, and we were talking about current events. And the Russian, who also happens to be American, said, oh, I'm a little bit sad because my friend's just been assassinated. And the Ukrainian said, oh, do you mean Arkady Bachenko? You, you know him. And the Russian said, yes, I've just found out that he's been murdered and it looks like Russia was responsible. And the Ukrainian nodded his head very sagely. And then a few hours later, the Russian, who I should point out is also American, then sent me a Facebook message and said, no, no, it's fine, my friend isn't dead. 
And I was going, what do you mean he's not dead? I'm seeing news reports on Twitter about his assassination right now. And she said, no, it all appears to have been some kind of weird hoax. So this story I find to be quite fascinating because I didn't find out about it via the news or via social media like I normally did. I found out about it over lunch. And yes, that was a very weird mm. circumstance, doing lunch with someone who was upset because her friend has been murdered and then going for a drink with her later on that day to find out that actually it was a massive sting operation against the FSB. Mm. What's happened to him lately, do we know? I have no idea. I mean, do, do, I know that there was an investigation into the hit on him. Russia, as usual, claims that A, they weren't involved, and the people who definitely weren't involved may well have worked for Russian state intelligence in the past, but definitely weren't working on their aegis at the time of the attempted assassination. And look over there, it's a walrus that's flying through the air. Mm. But, I mean, the Russians, they, they do seem the type to hold a grudge. So I do wonder if Mr. Babchenko will be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, I actually don't uh, know where he's living now. I wouldn't be surprised mm. if he's living somewhere which is a little bit harder for Russian intelligence agents to get to. Although, as we've seen, they can kind of get anywhere. Mm. Yes, we've had the Skripals and most recently Alexei Navalny, who's getting into all sorts of scrapes now, right, right at Which this I moment. Which I see might be a bit of a diplomatic issue between Russia and the US, since a lot of people, particularly both Democrats and Republicans, are asking the Department of State to formally condemn Russia's arrest warrant for Alexei Navalny. Mm. So we'll see how that one develops. Uh, but moving along to 2019, now you and I both have the same pick for most memorable episode of this year, and it's an episode that has become memorable in retrospect. Yeah, let's play the clip. This week we're bringing you a disturbing but also relatively minor story you probably haven't heard of. Although you probably know of similar stories, especially if you're a long-term fan of this show. Mm. So our story today concerns one Katie Groves, the alleged survivor of an American government-run child snuff factory located 45 minutes' drive from the centre of Austin, Texas. Now, if you're squeamish, please be aware that we will be discussing, not in any real depth, but discussing the murder of children, also a little light cannibalism. So this was Uncle Sam's snuff factory, which... I believe, as we've discussed on previous episodes, we might be the only podcast to have ever mentioned it. Mm, and the reason why we say we might be the only podcast to have ever mentioned it is that it's the only one that gets a significant number of comments uh, on YouTube. On um, a kind of recurring basis. Mm, which leads us to suspect that maybe when people go to search for information on Uncle Sam's Snuff Factory, we must be pretty high up the search results, which means, not, not to be too self-deprecating, there probably aren't very many other people who's, who we're competing with. Which is um, kind of interesting, because the actual thesis of Uncle Sam's Snuff Factory is ye bog-standard sexual perversion conspiracy theory where political elites are using children for their own particular ends. But it seems that this particular version of sexual perversion conspiracy theory, we're the only people to have kind of picked up upon Katie Groves' claims. Mm. And you were pointed to it from a Reddit post or something, was it? I was, was yeah. It was one of those yeah. weird things where someone said, maybe you might want to take a look at it. I did. I sat on it for a long time. Then one day I thought, why not just take a look at it? We did. We found nothing of particular substance to the claims themselves. And yet, week in, week out we get comments on the YouTube version of the podcast, and not just not Josh's version of the video podcast, the audio kind of weird thing that Podbean does where it'll create a YouTube video of an audio po podcast. We'll get comments on that, 
which either are, you have no idea what you're talking about, or thank you very much for drawing attention to this very important topic. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's just been a little bizarre, quite frankly, because, yeah, I mean, it does seem, it's, th th there's not a lot new to it in terms of, again, going back to the satanic panic and and earlier its claims have been around for a long time just these specific ones it's it's the sort of thing that you would expect a reporter to stumble across and think oh well, there's probably a story in this and dash an article off but it just doesn't seem to have happened no and i think it's in part because and i this is me engaging in a bit of folk psychology here but actually watching the videos with katie groves i can't help but think that there's another explanation for her claims which isn't the existence of a snuff factory beneath austin texas yeah as with um when we've talked a couple of times to think about targeted individuals it's like well the like we're not neither of us uh, is a psychologist but the there doesn't seem to be a great deal of difference between what these people are saying and what you would expect to hear from someone who's suffering from some form of schizophrenia or or similar mental affliction. Yes, um, I think that is a fair representation of what you see in those videos. Hmm. But anyway, let's let's move on to last year, given that it's now 2021 for God's sake. What how, how did that even happen? I mean, oh yeah, most of us didn't think we'd get out of 2020 alive, mm. or indeed thought that 2020 could possibly end, given it did feel like one of the longest years on human record. It did. But no, 2020, I mean, it's all fairly fresh in the memory there. Um, the only one that really stands... I mean, I suppose 2020, we started our What the Conspiracy segment. We did. We, we started Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre, or does that go back to 2019? I haven't actually checked when the when the earliest oh, episode was. Oh, good point, actually. I haven't thought of that either. I no. think it might be early 2020. I can actually look that up in a second. Um, so we, we sort of had, had some significant episodes in terms of firsts and trying new things and what have you. Um, here we go. I've got the list here. I've got the list. Where is it? Uh, God, there's so many episodes to scroll through. Here I we know. go. It started, oh, no, uh, May 2020. Yep. There we go. So 2020 was the year we started Conspiracy Theory Masterpiece Theatre, and we started our other our other new What the Conspiracy segment, um, which all said, but I mean, in terms of actual memorability, the only thing that sticks out in my mind is the Bill Gates episode, where we, for ages and ages, said, oh, we should do an episode about Bill Gates. Everybody talks about Bill Gates. How come? How come Bill Gates is the one that people... Um, fixate on in the same way they used to about George Soros and we did that episode and then it got yanked from YouTube in... now here's a clip so this is a question that I've wanted answered for a while myself basically which is when and why did Bill Gates become the new George Soros just all of a sudden he it was Bill Gates was the guy who was popping up in all the COVID conspiracy theories and probably a few of the uh, the 5G ones as well and it is a relatively recent phenomena the idea of Bill Gates being behind these conspiracy theories because for a long period of time the ultimate conspirator in politics was, of course, good old George Soros. Yeah. And having spent time living in Eastern Europe, I became very familiar with George Soros-related conspiracy theories. And then suddenly, Bill Gates enters the scene, and almost all Western conspiracy theories now reflect upon him, and Soros is almost relegated to being a third-rate Eastern European villain these days. So, yeah, what's kind of interesting about what happened with that episode is that we did an entire episode based around debunking the idea that Bill Gates should be blamed for all the ills of our society. But YouTube didn't agree, Ooh. did it, Josh? No, YouTube seemed to think that we were... Um we were advocating these conspiracy theories. And I mean, this, this was when they were trying to start to crack down on the, on the COVID misinformation. And yeah, the video got yanked for, for under the category of medical misinformation. 
and it said you can appeal, and I appealed, saying, no, no, we're not spreading these theories. We're critiquing them. We're debunking them. Um, and, and and just got the reply, no, still stands. It's gone. And that was the end of that video on, on my YouTube channel. Did it go up on automatically on yours? Well, I mean, I, I, I would have received a strike notice mm. if it had been an issue. So as far as I'm aware... It's still up, it up on there. the yeah. YouTube channel for me. I do wonder if I just tripped it because in the description I was sort of like, you know, when did Bill Gates become the new George Soros? Which I sort of, which, you know, we, in, in the context of the episode is clearly, you know, when did Bill Gates become the person who conspiracy theorists fixate on in the same way that they used to fixate on George Soros? But I can understand that to a, a person giving it a cursory glance or a poorly trained algorithm, it could look like we were saying, you know, Bill Gates is the guy who's now responsible for all the world's evils, not George Soros. But yeah, it's still. I mean, I, I I said it when we first talked about this. You know, you you know you're dealing with a giant faceless global mega corporate, but it, it it is still a little bit confronting where you have that fact actually actually shoved in your face. And this is the point in time where if we were going to go into political commentary, we talk about this is the danger of social media sites like your Twitters, your Facebooks, and also your YouTubes being able to have so much control over what aren't technically public forums, but which are effectively acting as them in our nation states. In that when you've got algorithms making decisions about content, you get false positives, like our episode on Bill Gates being cancelled, and I'm putting that in scare quotes there in case people are concerned that I'm turning into a right-wing spokesperson like Ben Shapiro, being cancelled because they've been interpreted in the wrong way. Mm. Yes, interesting. Also, just the whole um, picking and choosing who to cancel, like we all, well, we, 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 you and I, and probably most of our listeners, thought it was great when... Twitter unilaterally decided to yank a whole bunch of white supremacist type um, accounts. But then um, we've seen just today, I believe, Reddit's in some way put the kibosh on that um, uh, Wall Street Bets account that's busy screwing with the stock market and inconveniencing large hedge funds and billionaires. Um, so that definitely cuts both ways. But anyway, yes, as I say, there is a there's a worry here about the exercise of control by corporations over things which aren't technically public, but have kind of effectively become the de facto public square. Mm. Anyway, that's that, that's enough of that. What was your pick for 2020? Well, mine was our delightful, and I say our delightful, my delightful discussion with David Farrier, which you notably we're left out of. Right, time for another exciting episode of the podcast. Looks like I'm going to be right on time. Good thing we managed to book a studio for this recording. Last week's sound quality is a bit rubbish. Right, now, just need to enter the passcode. Well, well maybe I entered it wrong. Let's try the end. 4242. Hmm. Oh, maybe I should try knocking. I can see him in there. Hold on, that, that, that's not David Farrier in there, is it? Hey, David! David! M? M! Ah, the bloody soundproofing. Hold on, is that someone trying to get in? Oh, no, just ignore him. Look, I really want to talk to you about my documentary idea. It's called Dark Floridus, because it's all about fluoride conspiracy theories. Oh, God, no. Now, one thing I want to note about that clip is that over the course of the podcast, your acting has gone from strength to strength, whilst my acting has continued to maintain a monotone of emotional emptiness. Well, I have to say, it is, it, I find it easy acting when all I'm acting as is me. Um... So again, I think I think a case of each of us writing to the other's strengths, perhaps. I just find it disturbing. They did years and years of speech and drama training, and 
I'm good at public speaking, but emoting as a version of myself, still not so good at. But then again, maybe I'm not good mm. at that at real life. So maybe it's an accurate representation of me as a person. Maybe mm. I'm just empty inside. Yes. But nevertheless, yes, a good episode, good interview. Um, uh, young David Farrier is, well, he's kind of becoming our competition now, isn't he? He's Well, he's good as Armchair and Dangerous podcast. Mm, where he does seem to be getting well into the conspiracy theories. I have to be I'm a little bit worried about David. I, he's 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 almost starting to sound like the people who he critiques in his um he's sort of seeing QAnon everywhere and I I, I worry that he's inflating it a little much especially when he interviewed Joe and didn't seem overly he sort of, sort of seemed to be you know Joe says that the polling shows QAnon's not that big but it feels big and I don't know although that being said Joe thinks that's an issue with almost the entire journalistic class, as was discussed in the interview I did with him after his interview with mm. David. It does turn out that when Joe gives the facts to journalists, journalists go, yeah, but that's not how I feel it looks like. And Joe goes, don't care what you feel it looks like. This is the actual hard data. If you're going to say it feels different, you also need to explain why the polling mechanisms are bad. Mm. But anyway, jolly good episode nonetheless. And uh, and that's it. It's now 2021. We've been at this for way too many years. I guess it will be we'll be we'll be celebrating the seventh anniversary um, in May of this year. 300 episodes. I do have to wonder how. Like three hundred seems like a quite quite a long run just for a podcast in general. How how do you think we compare to other long running ones out there? That's a really good question because I mean we've we've never broken big. No. We've always just been a middling podcast, which has been quite content to follow our own interests. So we haven't been honing the podcast according to episodes that work that get bigger viewing figures or higher retention rates we simply reinvent depending on how we feel about things so i suppose in one respect the fact we've managed to go on for seven years and 300 episodes is kind of a testament to the fact that we enjoy doing the podcast mm. And it doesn't feel like a chore. It's not one of those, oh, God, we've got to record another podcast episode this week. We seem to find a way to make it always work. And we keep reinventing things, not because we're chasing an audience, but rather because, well, actually, sometimes change is simply what we need to do. Mm. Yeah, I'm... I just I keep having visions of 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 at some point in the future beat some sort of um, uh, light puff piece thing of New Zealand's longest running podcast isn't what you might think it's these two randoms talking about conspiracy theories. But wouldn't uh, that be a great footnote to history? Well, it would, I suppose. Yeah, I just don't know if we actually are New Zealand's longest running podcast or not. I would not have a clue. Actually, I I have no idea. Mm. I mean, actually, the bigger question for me, given that. I'm now Associate Professor of Philosophy at Beijing Normal University. I am quite curious to know whether when I arrive on site in Zhuhai, whether there's any discussion as to what the podcast should sound like when you've got an Associate Professor and Senior Faculty Member at Beijing Normal University doing work. I mean, they haven't said anything as of yet, and I think we're such small fry that no one particularly cares. But it also might be in our interest to not become big now so that we're actually not noticed by the kind of people who might go, why are you talking about that thing? And why are you making those particular jokes? Mm. Yes, we'll have to see. So, yeah, it will be, a, it will be another, yet another interesting new chapter of the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy once you eventually get all your business sorted out and wing your way over to China. And the thing is, we've got so much to do. I mean, I did a calculation as to how long it might take to do all of the conspiracy theory masterpiece theatre, and we've got several years of content there. 
our new What the Conspiracy segment, I think will be quite a promising way to do things every other week. So mm. there's a lot more to look at. And I think it's kind of a breath of fresh air. We found something new to do and it's kind of rejuvenated the podcast. Yes. So I, I guess here's to 300 episodes more. Yeah. And a clip show of a clip show. Yes, it'll have to happen. And yes, of course, precisely. obviously, thank you to you, the patrons who are listening to us. Um, now, the, I the... am thinking we might release this episode to the general public a hmm. week or two a bit later after yeah. the patrons, because A, it's quite an interesting delve into the history, and B, it's also quite long. So it's the kind of thing hmm. which other people might want to listen to, but we will allow the patrons to have at least a week of ex exclusive. I can't say exclusivity. Exclusivity. Okay. That's the one. So mm. you get it first, and we and we often don't release the patron bonus episodes no. to the public, but I think this might be might one it, that yeah. deserves general release. Mm. Right, but you're right, it has been a long episode. We've had lots to lots to go back over, so maybe we should call it to a halt now. Um, any last words? Bosoms. Those are, those are some fairly good last words. I was just going to go with goodbye. No, you weren't going to go penis? I mean, no. we started the podcast with a penis. We should it's probably end true. our 300th episode with a penis as well. Mm. Okay, goodbye, P.S. Penis. 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 Class.